G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show, episode number 54. I am your host, Jake Bondre, and today I am talking to Lewis Risa. So if you'd like to know more about Lewis and how you can get a job in professional sport, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jacob Andre, and for over a decade, I've trained everyone from children to elite athletes to move better, feel better, and perform better. While a thorough understanding of fitness and nutrition is vital, underpinning that is mindset. And I've come to discover just how important it is. I've worked with literally thousands of people, and more often than not, it's the ones who win the mind game who succeed in the big game. So, how do they do it? This is the Mind Your Body Podcast. G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. My name is Jacob Andre and today I'm talking to Lewis Risa. Now I have known Lewis for a very long time. We went to high school together in Darwin and then we later went to uni. There was a couple of years which we discussed in the episode where we weren't in the same place uh, from when school finished until about the age of 21. Lewis went off and did some other work. I went to uni. I completely failed at uni and stuffed around with uni uh, and which I talk about in the episode and then finally discovered how to be successful at uni which was around the same time that Lewis decided he was going to start a sports science degree so we reconnected at uni at about the age of 21. Lewis then went off and worked in Townsville and ultimately became a physio in high performance sport working with clubs such as the Brisbane Raw in the A-League and Cirque du Soleil in South America and North America. So he has been at the pinnacle of high-performance sport as a physio, and he's now currently working in the Australia football, the soccer uh, national network as a physio. Uh, He'll go into a whole bunch of that type of stuff, so I'm not going to touch on that. But Lewis has actually been my accountability buddy since 2017. I did a blog around the late 2017 or maybe late 2016, I can't remember exactly. And I was talking about how I was going to manifest $100,000. And after that, Lewis contacted me and was looking for an accountability buddy and must have thought that he saw, must have saw something in me where he wanted to connect with me. We started off um, chatting on the phone weekly, it moved out to fortnightly, moved out to monthly, and now we're speaking on the phone quarterly. And that whole relationship has sort of changed away from the accountability buddy type relationship into more just really, really good mates where we talk about anything and everything. Nothing is off limits and we can be completely open and honest with each other. So it's a really, really cool relationship. Because of that, we have deliberately not done a podcast together because there is so much personal stuff that we talk about and we don't want to get some of that stuff mixed up. However, Lewis is starting his own podcast now. So to help him out, I interviewed him on my podcast, The Mind Your Body Show, where you're listening to this, and he is going to use that on his podcast. So that will be linked up in the show notes a little bit later on as soon as you, as soon as soon I know what that's called and how to uh, find that uh, when he lets me know. So it'll be linked up at a later date. So if you're seeing it there, it means that I've gone back later and linked that up. So in order to find out a little bit more about Lewis and myself and the podcast, if you want to check in with any of the episodes that you've seen on The Mind Your Body Show, please follow us on Instagram at Jacob underscore Andre. Of course, you can get connected over on the website at jacobandre.com and there I talk, you'll be able to access all of our episodes and of course, you can find us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, namely our two main ones are Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So if you do, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review would be really appreciated, especially if you get something valuable out of this episode. So 
This episode, as I said, is one I've been looking forward to recording for a very, very long time. I'm so grateful and glad that we've been able to do it. I think the way we do it, where we talk about how you can get into professional sport, is one which is very, very valuable. And the insights of this guy, remember, I've spoken to this guy on a regular basis since 2017 and i'm so glad that i can bring this to you you're going to get so much out of this he's one of the smartest people that i know in many respects not just in physio but in just general professional life finances health behavior change habits you name it this guy is really really switched on and you are going to get heaps out of this episode so without any further ado lewis reeser Lewis, welcome to the show. Hi, how you going? I'm very good and I am super excited to finally have you <laughs> of all people on the Mind Your Body Show. I've been trying to get you on this for about five years. 2017 was when I first recorded my um, very first episode and we have known each other for a very long time. We'll get into that. Um, we've been very close in our relationship and we'll get into that as well. And you're someone that I have wanted to get onto the Mind Your Body Show for a very long time and I'm very excited that it's finally happened. Yeah, well, so am I, mate. So it has been a, a long little journey and and you're absolutely right. We have known each other for, for quite a while. So just be careful what stories you kind of bring up as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way I like to start is to ask what we interrupted in your day. So what did we interrupt in your usual routine today to be recording this? Well, today's a pretty casual day today, actually. I took my daughter to uh, to school care today and my other daughter to, to kindy, um, doing some work at home, just working on some stuff with um, with one of my roles with Football Australia, just liaising with some clubs over in Europe and some players that are playing over there and um, and just making sure that they're all travelling all right. We, we travel to turkey at the end of um of january so just making sure that those players are traveling well and 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 they're all all well well um recovered and rested and physically prepared to to compete in the next up-and-coming tournament you talk about getting elite soccer players up and ready for tournaments how do you mind your body and what i mean by that is how do you look after yourself well it depends (laughs) kind of when you're asking. Uh, during Christmas, it, there probably wasn't a lot of minding my body. There was probably a lot of indulgence. So I was uh, probably eating a little bit too much and, and spending a lot more, a lot, lot too much time on, on the couch. But look, if I had a, my perfect day would be getting up. I'm a bit of a, a nutter. I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I would tend to go for a walk, listen to a bit of a podcast and then uh, sort of just physically have some get myself prepared for what I term as the chaos of the day. The girls will usually wake up around sort of six o'clock. So by that point, I've, I've attended to some emails. I've, I've mentally prepared myself for the day. And then now I'm ready to kind of get the girls ready for school, uh, help my wife out around the home and that kind of stuff, and then head off for the day. I tried to get a, a gym session or an exercise session in the middle of the day. I find that my lunch break is probably the best time to do that because it allows me to kind of fit it into my day most easiest and um and i and then i get uh, i i feel a little bit more awake for the afternoon as well and then i kind of cap off the end of the day with coming back home spending the time with the family and then trying to get into bed at around sort of nine thirty. so that's pretty much a, a pretty standard day for me you said you like to listen to a podcast first thing in the morning which podcast episodes or which podcasts are you listening to 
my favorite is the the Mind Your Body um, show. That's uh, that's probably <laughs> on my top ranked show at the moment. Uh, no, well, I mean, I again, I'm I'm probably a little bit weird in the fact that I. I tend to schedule certain podcasts um, throughout my week um, that sort of encompass like broad areas. So I'll listen to financial podcasts. I'll listen to um, sports physiotherapy podcasts in particular. I'll listen to, um, you know, uh, uh, teaching podcasts. I'll listen to health podcasts in particular and try to kind of get a broad spectrum of podcasts. So I'll, it's it's not unusual for me to be listening, and this might might freak a pe- freak some people out. But it's not unusual for me to be listening to a podcast and only get halfway through it, and then the next day I go about listening to a different podcast, and then I'll come back to that podcast that I was previously listening to on another day. So I usually listen to my podcast either during my exercise or or while I'm driving. So it means that it it simply ends when I arrive at the destination or I'll finish my workout. So then I'll just pick up where I left off from there. Funny, when I'm listening to a podcast while I'm driving, I usually continue on with the episode. And so it, if I drive for 20 minutes and it's a one-hour episode, you know, after 20 minutes, I'll, it'll stop. But then when I get back in the car, I'll pick up with where I left. But if I have a specific time where I sit down to sort of more consciously listen to a podcast, um, more like I'm doing a bit of study around it, then I will sort of stop whenever it's whenever my time's up and then move on and, and probably never even come back and listen to the rest of the episode. Yeah, it drives my wife insane because my wife's a big reader and she is a person that if she starts a book, she she must finish it. And it it drives her insane that the thought that I could be reading a book and then halfway through the book, I'm starting another book. And I might at times have five books on the go kind of thing and I'll just interchangeably change from one book or another depending on how I feel at the time. But um, it, it that that it's it it's really it's a really stressful thought for my wife to think that like I can't believe you're just like switching between books and not like finishing one then moving to the next one so do you have a favorite podcast or podcaster uh no not really like I I I, like I said I listen to a broad spectrum and I'm always open to kind of listening to more essentially I don't have enough time in the day to be listening to to everyone but I, I get interest from a lot of different areas and and it really just depends on how I feel on the day so um like I'll be honest with you in my podcast kind of list I've probably got 12 on the go so um it really just depends on how I feel on the day and you said you do a gym workout at lunchtime what does that entail usually and what's that for it's kind of like a circuit or I may go for a run, um, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not complex at all. I kind of keep it very, very simple. At this time of my life, I'm, I'm less trying to improve my performance than I am trying to get some consistency with my training. And by doing so, I've just found that doing it at lunchtime allows that to maximize my chance to be consistent with that on a regular basis. Yeah, cool. So you're a very high-performing person, and I absolutely admire and respect you for that. And one of the things that I love is that I get to have one-on-one conversations with you on a regular basis and have done so for years now. But how did you get to where you are? Tell me about the Lewis. Actually, first of all, Lewis, that's not even how you – most Australians would pronounce your name Lewis, but how do you pronounce your name? Yeah, so it's um, it's it's a Latin background. My father's—I'm a weird bitch. My father's from Argentina. Well, it's probably not weird coming from Darwin, to be fair. But 
uh, my father's from Argentina and my mother's from Thailand. So my name's actually pronounced Luis. And, um, but I've been called worse in the past, so I'm happy for you to call me Lewis. Um, but, uh, and all my mates call me Louis, so, uh, so does my mother. So I've been called various names in the past. But, but yeah, my background is half South American and half Asian, and I was born and bred in, in Northern Territory. <laughs> so what did you think of the most recent World Cup results? Incredible. Like it was, like it was a mo- like you, you underestimate how special it is for that country. Like in, in a person's lifetime, it's rare that they go and see their country go on to win the World Cup and something as big as the World Cup for me. So it's quite nostalgic for me. I, you know, I grew up watching the World Cup with my old man waking me up you know, at two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, and then going watching the World Cup. So we have a lot of nostalgic memories about that. And to see my father get as emotional as he did, um, seeing his home country win the World Cup was was a was a quite a, a special moment for me. And and you really appreciate like how important this is for a country. And um, yeah, it was, it was amazing, mate. It was amazing. So what did you do to watch it? Where were you watching it? Where was your dad watching it? Were you together? Like, how did you? No, we actually, well, I was actually in my place, and my dad was in his place, and we were like messaging each other on the phone, and then we called each other afterwards, and yeah, it was it was quite a special moment. We maybe there's a little bit of superstition there where we're trying to like stay in our own domain to maximise a chance that our team wins, but uh, who knows what? Uh, but we we watched it separately, then we. We're talking throughout the game, like, uh, and then at the end of the game, we uh, we got on the phone, and, and it was incredible. And you're both in Brisbane, both in Brisbane, but my dad lives in a different, like a a different suburb. He's probably about uh, sort of forty five minutes to an hour away. So, um, so yeah, and because the game was on at at four o'clock in the morning, I didn't I didn't think it was um, kind to get my dad to come over here or me kind of venture out there knowing that I've got kids here at home that I've got to make sure I've got to get up to. So my girls woke up as well. We watched the game together um, and um, I wasn't going to trek them out to mum and dad's house to, to watch the game. <laughs> That's very cool. So your mum and dad have played a big part in your life and where you've ended up. Going back to that question, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, it's. Um, I knew you were going to kind of ask a question like that and I had to really think about it because I wanted to be respectful and kind of share uh, probably the story of where, where it all kind of started for me. But I guess if you're talking with respect to my physiotherapy degree in particular uh, and what I do for work now as part of my career, like it, it was a weird one. Like, uh, like I was born in Darwin. We went to the same high school together, so we obviously know each other for a long, long time. And, um, and I'll be honest with you, I wasn't very good at school. Like I... I didn't finish high school. Like I, I, I seed, seed it through. Like I saw it through to the end of year 12, but I didn't eventually get what we term as our TER back then. My TER was under under 50, so it was out of 100. So technically I didn't even pass pass high school. So um, out of high school, um, I, did a, I did a trade. Um, I, did, I was a draftsman, an architectural draftsman for a few years and did a trade in drafting and did that for a few years and... And then realized to myself that I didn't want to sort of sit in front of a computer for uh, sort of eight to 10 hours a day uh, for the next 40 years of my life. So I thought I'd try something different. And my girlfriend at the time was um, doing occupational therapy. And unlike other people that get into physiotherapy, I, uh, I played sport. I 
played soccer as well, played football, played cricket, played a number of different sports. But I was one of the lucky ones that never really got injured. So I didn't, I didn't attend a physiotherapist and thought, holy geez, this is an incredible person. Like they've got an awesome job. This would be a cool sort of future to, to look into. That wasn't the story for me. Like the only reason why I got into physio was I was simply following a girl. Like at the time... <laughs> We did sports science together at um, Charles Darwin University and um, my girlfriend then went from sports science into, into OT after my first year of sports science. I then transferred into physio and, and the only reason why I got into, um, into physio was um, I had to do an aptitude test to get into to uni and I was only eligible to do the aptitude test to get into uni because I didn't pass high school because at that stage at 22 I was considered a mature age student so um, I got into uni as a mature age student having done an aptitude test to deem me um, I guess smart enough to get into uni and um, and then from there on I, I, I started my degree in physiotherapy. Well, I only got 59 on my TER. Back then it was called TER, Tertiary, Admission, tertiary Entrance Rank, and now it's an ATAR, at, yeah. um, Australian Tertiary Admission Rank. <clears throat> so I only got 59. I only just passed, and I ended up becoming a PE teacher, doing a double degree in sports science and teaching. And I absolutely stuffed up my first year of – first couple of years, in fact, of sports science. So we were doing sports science together at CDU. We'd been yeah. to high school together. Yeah. And then – in my when I started, I went straight into uni. So same as you, I would have been seventeen when when I started. Or would you? Did you start in that first year after high school? No, because I did a trade. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I did that for. So when we met each other, I would have, as in, when we went to uni together, I was twenty-one when I first uh, uh, applied for CDU, and um, I mean. My not this is going to sound I'm not to sound disrespectful, but a lot of people can get into CDU. Like it's a it's a it's a if I got into CDU, I've got a lot of faith that a lot of others can go and have a, 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 a get an entry into CDU. Whether you pass or not, that's a different kettle of fish, and and that that's something that we can go into. But I got into CDU thankfully, um, and that's where when we first met each other, I was probably 21, 22 at the time. First re met each other after high school. Yeah, correct. So, yeah. So- so uh, the reason why I say this is because I want to talk about a failure story as well. And so I ended up in my first year thinking, going straight into uni from high school being 17 and not turning 18 until March. I said, uh, oh, I thought that uni was like what you saw in an American sitcom is that you just went to the cafe all during the day and you drank coffee and hung out at the cafe and ate food. And then at night you went to the pub and you enjoyed yourself and you partied. So I didn't do a lot of study when I first went to uni. And in, on top of that, doing a sports science degree, which is full of in the first year being chemistry, maths, physics, biology, anatomy and physiology. I didn't do any sciences after year 10 and I didn't do any maths after year 10. And so my last maths was general maths, which is practically adding up a shopping docket in year 10, then going into first year university. So when you talk about anyone can get in, yeah, anyone can get in and I, I was probably set up for failure. And so then I spent that, I think I passed, I passed three classes in my first year out of eight. Then the next year I tried to sort of catch up and put a bit of effort in, but still really struggled. Took a year off, went away, worked at NC Athletics to figure out, you know, and figured out that I did actually want to do this uni thing. Went back and then that's where we then connected. 
um, at uni together studying the sports science. But you said that you met your wife at uni. That wasn't in Darwin though, was it? No, that was my girlfriend at the time. And um, I, I essentially got into physio because of her, but then I eventually met my wife when I then moved to, to Queensland to do my physiotherapy degree. So females have played a major part in my life, like my mother in particular, and then my girlfriend at the time when we, when we were at uni together was essentially the reason why I got certain scores in sports science to get into to physiotherapy because, like yourself, I had no academic habits. Like I didn't study, I didn't do homework. So uni for me academically was a massive, massive struggle. And to give you perspective, like at, at high school, um, I, I didn't know how to like read reading, like read or write English until I was like 16 because my both my parents were immigrants so they they both didn't know how to speak english well my mother's from thailand my dad's from argentina so my dad couldn't speak spanish to my mother and my mother couldn't speak thai to my father so we all just spoke bad english at home and so and my my parents didn't read to me because they didn't know how to read or write english well themselves so as a 16 year old in high school i did esl i did english as a second language and i was born in australia so everyone around me was from obviously different countries, which is not unusual in a place like Darwin, um, but I did ESL. And so, yeah, by all means, like when I went to uni, I, I, I really struggled and I was lucky enough at the time that my girlfriend at the time got me through a lot of those kind of challenges that come with assignments and, and exams and so forth at university. Then my current wife, who was my girlfriend, uh, who obviously was my girlfriend at the time at, when I was doing physiotherapy, got me through physiotherapy now. And um, little did I know that I was also going to have girls of my own, daughters of my own, who now have a, a massive influence in my life today. So you left CDU. At what point did you leave CDU and where did you go to? So well, I went to move to Townsville. I uh, moved to Townsville. And the funny story was, I got into physiotherapy in Townsville because we were the first cohort to, to, uh, to go through the university. So they were starting physiotherapy and they needed um, students to obviously start this program. And one, one of, they were incentivized with a place like Townsville, they were incentivized to, to I guess, um, recruit, I guess is a better word, uh, students that had come from rural backgrounds. So that was... Because what had happened was is that the concern was they were going to start this physiotherapy degree in Townsville and then you were going to get all these people from Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne that were unable to get into their universities in their, in their cities because they didn't have, say, the high enough scores to get into their universities that they'd then go and apply for these rural universities and get into the physiotherapy degree through that, through that way. I was lucky enough that one... They were starting this degree. Um, the timing was perfect. And because I was from Darwin, uh, they see me as like an a, like a ideal candidate to, to be part of this first cohort to go through um, JCU. That's very cool. And so how many years did you spend at JCU? Spent four years, thankfully. It was only had to be four years and have to spend more than that. And again, I have a lot to, to thank for my wife for getting through that. But I, I, if I'll be perfectly honest with you, 
I, I didn't even know what physiotherapy was. The only reason why I got into physiotherapy to start off with, why I applied physiotherapy, because my girlfriend at the time did OT and she was going off and doing OT and all of her friends were, were females were going off and doing OT. I was doing sports science and when I spoke to all the, the guys that were doing sports science, the natural progression for them at that time was to go and do physio. So I just applied to do physio. So I knew nothing about physio, drew my whole degree, it wasn't pleasant for me. Again, I didn't have an academic background and I wasn't passionate about physiotherapy. I wasn't like, this is, I didn't, again, I didn't have a background where I saw this is going to be the career for me, right? Um, it was just serendipitous that I, that I got, that I applied for it and then got accepted into it. So it wasn't really a, um, I had a fun time at uni and living on college, but I wouldn't say that that trans, trans, um, transferred to my, to my academic prowess and, I probably, like you said, with regards to tea, I just passed my physiotherapy degree. So what were you going to do with the sports science degree? Before you discovered physio, what were you planning on doing with a sports science degree? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> Literally, I just went to UD because my girlfriend at the time was going to UD. And like I was and and again, like I was in a moment where I was doing I had done my trade, I was doing my trade in 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 uh, in drafting and I simply didn't enjoy what I was doing. So I was at a crossroads. Do I just keep doing what I don't enjoy doing or do I try something different? And the, uh, the, the opportunity that existed in front of me was my girlfriend at the time was going to uni. So I thought, well, why don't I try and get into uni as well? Obviously it was a little bit harder for me to get into uni because I hadn't passed, um, high school but then when I found out I could get into uni as a mature age student but I had to do this aptitude test I just studied my butt off and then um and then thankfully enough I passed the aptitude test and then, and then so it was just a process, this was just a process of picking a degree essentially well I would consider you one of the smartest people I know so to hear this story is kind of mind-blowing so what <laughs> advice would you give to physio students with your experience that, with having had that experience yeah, well, I mean, the, the interesting thing now is one of my roles is in academia and I actually teach at a, at a university, a, a high-caliber university here in Brisbane, and I teach into, into the physiotherapy school. And um, look, I mean, the advice I've given with respect to that type of background is at 18 or 17, you really don't know what you want to do. And you just got to keep your options open, right? I was just lucky that I fell into something that inevitably was something that now I'm tremendously passionate about and and am lucky enough that I'm half decent at doing. So, but beyond then, it was just merely trying new things and seeing what works and seeing what sticks. So then what was the next step after you did graduate? Where did you go to from there? So, um, Thankfully enough, again, didn't have a fun time at uni. Then in my final year was placement. And this is where you kind of go off and you start to do um, some work experience in certain, um, in different sort of fields of physiotherapy. And I was lucky enough that I had some exceptional uh, clinical educators during that period of time where I thought to myself, oh, geez, I could actually do this. I understood that my strengths lied not within the acad academia or, or knowledge around physiotherapy, it, it, it linked more with my ability to pattern recognition, to problem solve, to be able to kind of have an individual in front of me, build rapport with that individual, and then try to nut out 
what could be the thing that's troubling this individual and then going forward and, and applying a, an intervention that inevitably helps this individual go back to what they want to be doing, right? So I was lucky enough to kind of realise that that's where my strengths lied, that after um, I uh, finished university, I ended up going and working into private practices where with with one of the places that I did my placement with. And um, and the private practice that I was working with at the time had a, a huge football um, connection with the local football club in um, in Townsville, and and that's probably where my my sports physiotherapy journey sort of started. Yeah, and you ended up moving on to some big um, organisations, Cirque du Soleil, and some um, big clubs and teams, Brisbane Raw, for example. How did that all come about? So from that working with that club in Townsville then to the bigger stuff? Yeah, so uh, like I said, I was working for a private practice and we were working, uh, we were uh, we were servicing their state league team or you'd term as like a, uh, if you follow AFL, you'd probably be like your VFL team or your or your Quaffle or your Saffle sort of team. Um, if you're like listening, if you're rugby, if you're leaguey, you're, you know, your Q Cup, um, sort of um, sort of division, and I was I was looking after the team there, purely pro bono. Was not getting paid for it. Was doing some really long hours, and again serendipitously, uh, Townsville were in the bid to to get an uh, an A League side, which was the 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 highest um, division of soccer in in Australia. And um, they won their bid and Townsville now had uh, an A-League team. And because I was now, because I, at the time I was the physiotherapist for the State League team, it was just an organic sort of progression for me to then move into this A-League side. So now I, very early in my career, I became uh, a physiotherapist for a professional sports team at the highest level of football in Australia, and I used to jokingly say to all my other peers that I was the most inexperienced um, physio in the A League at the time, right? And um, and it, it was great; had a great time. The the team was in the A League for two years, and unfortunately, due to financial reasons, it ended up getting pulled from the A League. From there, having known people in the industry, and when you start working in the sports industry, you start to know people that work in different clubs and different organizations and I knew someone that worked at Cirque du Soleil at the time and um, I he said to me look I know that your your contract's going to obviously be ending at the end of the season with the club sort of not not um, progressing forward with the A-League license have you ever considered working for Cirque du Soleil and I thought oh why not I'll try try an adventure so I went through the recruitment process and ended up um getting a job at Cirque du Soleil. So I ended up moving from Townsville to a role um, at Cirque du Soleil where my, I looked after a show that uh, was predominantly based in South America and North America. So my tour for the following two and a half years I was with, the, with Cirque du Soleil was based in North and South America. So I literally, my first tour was in Rio de Janeiro. So I flew from Townsville, Queensland, to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and it was a massive, massive culture shock, but obviously an incredible um, experience. My wife had the better job because she just travelled with me while I was over there working, um, <laughs> but uh, we had an incredible experience together. So for anyone that doesn't know Cirque du Soleil is like a circus, what were those athletes like to work with? I can imagine that that would be quite challenging but extremely interesting. 
Yeah, look, it was it was massively challenging. Like, I, if I'll be perfectly honest, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, look, you're dealing with uh, it, it can vary from sort of 150 kilo Russians who Russian men who throw what they term as flyers up in the air that can be you know um, weighing like 50 kilos. So this is the diversity of kind of body types that you get. Um, the diversity of backgrounds can be. We had former bronze Olympic gymnasts um, as part of our as part of our show to 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 the other end of the spectrum, which is what they term as like traditional circus acts. So there was an act that um, at the time that was part of our show that was a long traditions, traditional circus act where uh, a guy would sit on a, on a chair, lay back on a chair, and he would juggle his, his, um, his partner using his feet, flipping him with his feet up, up into the air. And at the time, there was a team from Italy and a team from Spain, and they were the only two teams in the world that, that performed this act. So, like, obviously, there's no way I can prepare for this because I've never seen this in my life before. And I've come from... A professional sporting background had a bit of kudos to myself, thinking that I've I've worked in professional sport, and then coming into an environment that I I knew absolutely nothing about. So it was a, a definitely definitely a baptism of fire. But uh, at the, as much as it was challenging, it was uh, obviously in, in, uh, extremely rewarding at the same time. I just want to sidestep for a second there. At that point where you're in your last year of uni and you're doing the work, the voluntary work, and then you then got offered the the job with the Townsville state team and then ultimately the Townsville team that went into the A-League and the Cirque du Soleil. What advice would you give to any up-and-coming physios who want to get into high-performance sport, for example? Yeah, it's a good question and it's probably something that I'm trying to become better at answering because the more and more I talk to my peers in the industry, um, the more and more the stories can differ of how people got into to their roles and, and the ways that they took to get into the roles that they are in today. But what seems to be consistent is that they're open. They're open to trying new things. They're open to, to putting in the work. Um, the reality is, is that like with most endeavours uh, that you're looking to pursue, it comes with a level of commitment, uh, a level of work ethic and a level of sacrifice. And the frustration that comes with implementing those three things is that those things are guaranteed, the success isn't guaranteed. So you can put in all that work and it still may not get you to where you're kind of going to, 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 to pursue, right? It might not get you to the goal that you're trying to pursue. But what is definitely guaranteed is that if you don't put in that discipline, if you don't uh, make certain sacrifices and if you don't have a, a, an exceptional work ethic, it's guaranteed that you're probably not going to land in, in the area of, or the field that you want to work in. Here's a question for you, and I'm really interested in how you're going to answer this. When do mm. you know when to give up? If your dream is to be a physio or any other job, whatever, let's just use physio as an example, yep. and you want to get into high performance where there's not a lot of jobs, and I know you know some really good numbers, which I'd love to hear them, on who mm. ends up making high performance physio um, mm. work. How do you know when to give up and just maybe go in another direction yeah there's two thoughts to this and you're absolutely right like it's a highly competitive industry and we can definitely talk about those numbers and but there's two trains of thoughts right there's obviously the the train of thought of you should never give up right like you should never give up you should um you know there's you, you it's only it, it, what what happens if it's only 
that one more rep that you do that eventually gets you get the door open right and there's that there's that train of thought and then there's a train of thought that's like a practical sense right meaning that they've that hopefully there's been some certain milestones that have that you've met that have given you confidence that you're you're close to reaching um uh you know, the goal that you're trying to achieve, right? There's a book by Seth Godin and it's called The Dip and he talks about how you can identify whether you're in. So he talks about a concept that every person in their journey goes through a dip, right? And it's during that period of time in the dip where you're asking the question of, you know, should I keep going? Because I know ahead of me is this going to be this trajectory that I'm going to have to put in a lot of work uh, eventually to get over, over the hump to get to where you want to be, right? And he talks about the concept that in this dip, um, there's certain questions that you you may want to consider asking yourself uh, about whether are you, are you hitting a roadblock or are you simply in a dip? And so he talks about things like roadblocks can be things like I'm working in a, I'm working as a, a receptionist for a medical uh I'm working as a receptionist for a surgeon, right? And if your dream is to be uh, an orthopedic surgeon, you've got to you've got to accept that it's not just going to take me ten more years in this reception job to then get to being a surgeon. Like there's a roadblock there. There's only so far you can go that will take you to the place that that uh, that may not take you to the place that you want to go. It may require you than having to do a degree or medical degree to eventually um, to be a surgeon, right? So you've got, to, you've got to ask some strategic questions of yourself about am I, uh, is the thing that I'm currently doing going to eventually take me to where I need to be? And if not, I may be in a roadblock and not a dip. I like that. That's good. And that name of that book again, and we'll link it up it's in called, the show notes. It's called The Dip and it's by an author named Seth Godin. Yeah, cool. What I love about talking to you is a lot of people will answer that question in, they'll say one or the other, and you will just give both. <laughs> like your way of thinking is so unique and different to most people. Um, and so I had a feeling you were going to suggest the first one, um, but I love that you've gone down both paths. So yeah, um, those numbers on making it to high performance physio work, how many physios are Australian universities pumping out per year and I hope this is okay to ask you this because I haven't yeah, yeah. prepped you with it but I'm pretty sure you know the answer and how many make it into high performance sport yeah it's crazy to think of this and 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 for what it's worth it's not unique to like sports physiotherapy but and I, I can only imagine that numbers could be quite similar in the sports industry uh, across the board right but um but you're looking at and and my numbers might be a little bit dated here, so you definitely have to double double fact check this. But um, the last time I looked, there's there's upwards of thirty four thousand physiotherapists in Australia, and and I'm a tight what they term as a titled sports physiotherapist, and have to be titled, you need to have done certain sort of um, education and had experience in the field of sports physiotherapy at certain levels and so forth to be el- eligible to be termed a titled sports physiotherapist. And there's only 1,500 titled sports physiotherapists in Australia of those 34,000 physiotherapists that currently are in Australia. And then when you actually look at the professional clubs that exist in Australia, there's probably only 100 
full-time opportunities in professional sport. Like if you look at your AFL code, your NRL code, your, your rugby codes, your football codes, and then your Olympic sports and so forth, there's probably only 100 full-times, full-time roles in sport. So you're looking at 34,000 physios across Australia, 1,500 of those are, uh, are titled sports physiotherapists. So most sports clubs at the very least would consider that uh, as the minimum standard that you might have to have. So you're looking at 1,500 titled sports physiotherapists all vying for 100 full-time roles in sport, right? So you're looking at less than 10%. Less than 10% or if you looked at the 34,000, you're looking at less than, you know, 2% of physiotherapists end up going into full-time sport right and i and it's a scary thought when you think of that and i don't think it's anything different to snc coaches if anything it's probably snc coaches may have it tougher and i don't see it and i've known that it's no different in sports dietetics or in 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 coaching for that matter especially at those top top roles like if you look at head coaching or or assistant coaching and so forth so it's quite a competitive um industry and and it's something that has being a passion for me to try to shed the light um, to those that are trying to get into the sports industry that one, yes, it is competitive, but there's certain things that you can do to maximize your chance to getting into, into professional sport. And, and if you think it's merely by getting better at being a sports physiotherapist, that's only one um, part of it. There's all other parts that you need to consider that will maximise your chance and to get into professional sport. Like what? So, so one of the things that they talk about is that um, professional sport, so there's this misconception that professional sport or working in the sports industry is a skill-based industry, that, that, you, that people are looking for the most highly skilled individuals to work for the organization, which is a misconception because the reality is it's a trust base industry. And so what that means is, is that people are looking to hire people that they can trust and trust. What I mean by trust is trust that they'll, they'll do a good job. Trust that they'll turn up on time. Trust that they'll be professional. Trust that they could keep their players injury free. Trust that they can work with this person that they it will be a healthy working relationship it can it can involve robust conversations and challenging discussions but ultimately it's a it's a relationship that they can work with trust that they could work with the players that they're looking after so it's a trust-based system and there's multiple ways that you can portray trust one of the most common ways is what we commonly hear the concept is it's who you know not what you know all right and the who you know is based on trust. So the easiest way for someone to trust in you is they have a direct relationship with you. So they've worked with you in the past, they've known you, they've, they've grown up with you. So already they have an indication that you're, if, if you are a trustworthy person, that you've got the, that you portray a level of, I have a level of trust in that individual that they can do what I want them to do. The second way that you can portray trust is indirectly, that someone has trust in someone else's opinion that I know very well who then knows you, right? So it might be you know someone at the, 
at the Adelaide Crows and they're looking for a physiotherapist and you 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 consider me as being someone who could do a, a, an incredible job for, for the Adelaide Crows, that the person at the Adelaide Crows who trusts your opinion, Jacob, uh, will give time to, to, to the person that you put trust in yourself, right? And then the other most common way that... Um, that people portray trust is by getting extra degrees, by getting extra letters by their name, by doing extra certifications, by putting, by building up their reputation in the industry that gives people a level of trust that you have the competency to do this job. Now, that can be like I've done my master's or I've done my PhD and that is giving you is portraying to them that if they were, if they could go and go and do their masters or if they've completed their PhD, then I've got some level of trust that they probably know what they're talking about and they probably know um, they probably have a level of competency to fulfil the role that I'm wanting I'm wanting filled right. But the 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 sad thing is is that most people lean to the third because it's the it's the most common way that people feel is the way that they can portray trust in the industry to show that they're competent in what they do. And they neglect the other avenues that, 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 are, that also portray a level of trust. That's amazing. That's some gold wisdom right there. So if you were going to summarise that, how would that look? So um, the saying is, it's who you know, not what you know, rings true. But what I add is, so it's really important that you go and and build relationships with individuals in the industry that you're you're wanting to pursue and continue to add value to those people so that you uh, then have uh, have a relationship with people that may directly or may indirectly uh, assist you with getting roles in in the in the type of jobs that you're wanting to pursue but I say it with this it is what may get you into the door is who you know, not what you know, but what keeps you there is what you know. And the sports industry is very, very small. And you, when you get into the role that you eventually um, are successful in getting, you better know your stuff. You better know your stuff. Because if you don't know, it's going to be very quickly known in the industry, in the circle, that you are someone who doesn't know their stuff. And so my advice to those is you do things concurrently. You make sure that you're out there getting to know individuals and building relationships that are, um, that where you're adding value to them at the same time as you're refining your skills. You become, you're mastering, you're getting better at your craft and, and making sure that when the opportunity comes, you're ready for it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that was a Benji Marshall style sidestep right there. So to come back onto the path that we're on with where you were at at Cirque du Soleil, how did you come back to Australia and what was the next step? Yeah, so obviously I had an incredible time at Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, you know, we travelled a lot, um, spent New Year's in in uh, San Francisco, had another New Year's in Santiago, Chile, you know, spent Christmas in in Rio and, and it was just, we, we had some incredible experiences there, but it wasn't really inducive to, to having a family, 
Yeah. So my wife and I wanted to have a family. So we wanted to move back to, to Australia and we didn't know where to move back to. My, my wife's from Cairns. I'm from Darwin. Uh, we met each other in Townsville. And so we didn't know where to move back to. I was lucky enough that I then got a role with the, the Brisbane Raw and, and that kind of was the precipice of moving back to, to Brisbane and, um, and working with the Brisbane Raw. So I was there for a couple of seasons, uh, was there for the first season we won the league and then the second season uh, I think we lost the first sort of eight or nine games and then uh, the club went, the, the coach got sacked and the club went into a bit of a, a restructure. So from there, um, after the Brisbane Raw, I ended up opening up uh, my own uh, sports injury clinic with a former A-League goalkeeper who was the goalkeeper at the North Queensland Fury who I was with prior to, to leaving to Cirque du Soleil. He ended up becoming a strength and conditioning coach, a well-known strength and conditioning coach, and um, and asked me if I wanted to open up a physio clinic um, within his gym facility. So I did that for a few years and and alongside that worked with uh, a state league side called the, the Brisbane Strikers Football Club and was the head of medical for their club during a period of time that was incredible. We won the league uh, twice in three years during my time there. But more importantly, it was during a period of time where the A-League was going into expansion and they were one of the teams that were considering, that were being considered as one of the expansion clubs. So I was brought into the club to help um, really bring their, their level of medical um, service up to a up to an A-League standard. And so it was a really fun time to kind of build something from the ground up and and go and, and work with the club and, 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 and have the success that we had with the club during the three years I was there. Um, that then, I then left the club. They didn't, they didn't end up winning the bid for the expansion club for the A-League. Uh, I ended up moving on and was teaching, got a teaching role at ACU, Australian Catholic University, as a clinical educator working with their fourth years in a, in a sports and injury clinic that they have on site. So these students then go into, um, into, this, into this clinic uh, for five-week blocks and, um, and to complete a placement at this clinic before graduating as a physio. And I was one of the clinical educators there that would supervise these students to, to prep them um, ready for graduation. And alongside that, uh, I was merging into my current role now where I'm uh, a, a lead physiotherapist for Football Australia, where my primary role is head physiotherapist for um, the men's under-17s national team. Uh, they're called the Joey. So that kind of brings us up to, to today. That's awesome. So real quick, how did you get the job at Brisbane Raw? So it's funny that you say that I, I contacted the Brisbane Raw as a potential uh, opportunity to get back into to the A-League and get back into the football with my background in football. And um, at the time, the there was players that played for the North Queensland Fury who are now playing, who are now then playing for the Brisbane Raw. One of them ended up being the captain uh, for the Brisbane Raw and um, and it was just a simple conversation of, do you know this Lewis guy? He's contacted me. Um, he's he's moving back to Australia, and I was lucky enough that I made a, a half decent impression when I was at the North Queensland Fury that they 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 didn't say share all the bad stories about me and and came off in, in good light. So I was lucky enough to get a role with the with the Brisbane Roar on the back Trust. of that. Trust, trust, yes, exactly right, yeah. Mm. 
So, and was it, and how did it happen with, um, so you're now working with the Australian under 17 men's football or soccer, as some people call it. Um, yep. How did all that come about and what does that job entail? Yeah, so again, it was uh, a progression into the role. I worked with across a, a few different um, programs, their, their national futsal team and their national Paralympic team that I, I still do a bit of work with now. Um, and and from there, it kind of was assisting in those roles and then migrated into head roles and then and then now have been appointed um, for this for this World Cup cycle with the with the Joeys as, as their head physio. So what, what that entails is essentially I look after a uh, hundred plus potential um, national team selected players. Uh, we eventually select 24 to 25 players. It can vary between 23 and 25 players uh, for, for um, international tournaments. Uh, but my role is to oversee these hundred plus players that play in various big clubs both here in Australia, so A-League clubs here in Australia and in Europe as well, um, is to keep tabs on all these players and make sure that they're all um, performing at the highest level and they're injury-free. And if there are any injuries, is to make sure that they're being addressed appropriately and to stay updated on where they are within the industry so that if it gets to a point where the, the coach is wanting to to maybe select this player, that um, the coach is well-informed to, to know uh, where this player is at. And um, so that's part of my role. And then my other role is obviously traveling with the team, both for domestic camps here in Australia uh, and internationally. So last year in particular, uh, had quite a hectic schedule. Uh, it involved travel to Dubai, uh, Singapore, Indonesia, Spain, uh, Thailand, uh, and various domestic camps uh, at the areas in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and then this year in particular is going to be another heavy schedule because we've got a World Cup at the end of this year and we've got an Asian Cup. So in a few weeks' time, I'll be travelling down to Sydney for 10 days and then off to Turkey for 10 days. Then I'll be back home for a bit. Then we go to Vietnam. Then I'll be back home for a bit. Then we'll go to Thailand. Back home for a bit, go to a, another domestic camp and then hopefully it culminates in us qualifying for the World Cup, which will be... Um, located in Peru this year um, at their, in November this year. So to many people, they would say you're living the dream. Do you feel like you're living the dream? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged. Like I, 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 there's not a day that I, I consider myself very, very lucky to even just be working in sport. Like it's an end and, and to have the role that I have is very privileged and, and, and one that I don't, don't take for granted for one bit. So I make sure that I apply myself accordingly um, because I don't know and I know how volatile the sports industry can be. So it's one that I definitely cherish and I'll make sure that I, I'm applying myself in a fashion that does a good job on a, on a, on a consistent basis. But if I'd be perfectly transparent with you, it also comes with its challenges. Obviously, I'm away from my family a lot. Obviously, it involves long hours. Obviously, it involves travel to certain destinations that aren't as desirable as Barcelona and so forth. And then dealing with the challenges of, you know, trying to medically manage, you know, a group of players in in 
in sort of environments that can vary in resources and, and service delivery. So uh, it can be a, quite a highly stressful environment and it can at times be a highly demanding environment from, from coaches that are, are wanting players to be available for every single game. Um, so it, it asks a lot of you for sure. I'm really interested in what you said about the under-17 side because essentially that sounds like you're an online high-performance physio <clears throat> because if you're connecting with all of these under-17 Australian players across Australia and Europe, what exactly are you doing? How, how do you – because you can't give them a massage, you know, for yeah. example. I'm, I'm being silly. like I'm, No, 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 but I totally hear what you're saying. And that, you can't and, put and your hands on them, you know. Correct. And, and that gives you quite a bit of an insight to what national team – um, national team performance staff do. So when you're working in club land, um, like say, if, like when I was at the Brisbane Roar or say the North Queensland Fury or even Cirque du Soleil for that matter, when I was traveling full time with the, with the, um, with the tour, um, yes, predominantly your role is to physically keep people on the park, right? And you, there's a very different ways you can, a very, uh, an array of different ways you can do that, right? But in the national team level, you don't necessarily um, have access to the players on a daily basis for obvious reasons because they're playing um, in all different parts of the world and, um, and there's that many players that are under the selection profile, right? So part of my role is, yes, when I'm away with the, uh, with the team, I'm technically doing that traditional sort of injury management role where I would be, you know, doing monitoring, doing screening, doing treatments, doing interventions, prescribing exercise and so forth, taping and that kind of stuff that maximise the player's ability to take the park on a daily basis. But outside of that role, as do most other national team performance staff, it's a lot around monitoring and building relationships with clubs. So, again, a trust game is we've got to put a lot of trust in the service delivery that the clubs are providing our players, our national team players, because ultimately they're getting majority of their player welfare being conducted by the clubs that they're part of. And again, they can vary in resources and vary in service delivery, right? So my role is to build strong relationships with the medical teams um, at these clubs and work in collaboration with these clubs and provide any sort of information, any sort of insight, any sort of help that they feel that they would be um, be uh, be wanting to receive and vice versa, trying to get as much information from them that, that ensures that when the t- player comes back, comes into the national team, that we have the same, we borrow players from their clubs because I, because ultimately they make their living from their clubs that they play for, and the clubs are uh, their employees of the clubs. That we borrow players for the clubs. That we, are, my role is to build a strong enough relationship with the club that they trust me. That when they're in the national team, um, national team structure, that they're being well looked after as well, so that they don't go back to their clubs and, uh, and broken and battered. Yeah, very, very interesting. So what's next for Lewis? Um, what's next for me? I'll, I'll just try to get through the next tour and uh, make sure that we, you know, we, we are successful in that tour, both from our, our player availability and everyone's nice and healthy and, and we achieve some, some success on the field as well. Um, but I don't look too far ahead. Obviously, uh, I, I do 
you know, continue to look at opportunities that exist in sport and, and uh, you know, I often joke to you about the concept of, you know, uh, being the physiotherapist for the Dallas Cowboys is is kind of like a pinnacle, uh, and I use that as a metaphor. I'm not a Dallas Cowboys fan by no means, but but obviously being at a, at a level of sport that uh, that in a lot of people's eyes is is a pinnacle in 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 sports physiotherapy or, or sports injury management, but also using it as a metaphor, as in I'm. I'm interested in new avenues. I'm interested in trying new things. And you can see by my background, I've gone and merged into working with Paralympic athletes to working with um, uh, professional adult football players to now junior um, professional football players to working with Cirque du Soleil, right? So I I really get um, quite interested in being exposed to to whether it be baseball or NFL or basketball, and 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 excited by uh, what that could bring in in the future if there if there are opportunities that come about. Lewis, it's been absolutely amazing to sit down and chat. I just want to acknowledge you for all of the work that you do with the general public and your physio, with athletes, with the students that you teach, and thank you for your time on the Mind Your Body Show. How can people connect with you? Um, I'm probably, I'm, I'm really bad at social media as Jacob knows. Um, but probably the, the easiest way that you can connect with me is, um, uh, either via LinkedIn and, and we can put that in the show notes or via my email address on, uh, at outlook.com. And, um, and I've actually been inspired by, by what you're doing, Jacob, and I'm, I'm kind of starting my own podcast as well and uh, looking to interview colleagues of mine in the industry to to really help in answering that question that you, you asked earlier on is like how did you get into sport right and just to really help people um, get a bit of an insight and pull pull the veil behind um, what you know what are the what things they learned what things they did the events that took place that eventually got them into their into their dream role in sport right so hopefully um i'm able to launch that um in the near future and uh be able to share some of those stories with who i consider um leaders in the field of high performance with with other people as well yeah awesome do you have a name yet for the podcast uh, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So um, not quite yet. I've, I've settled on one name um, and it's pretty simple as how did you get into sport? Um, but it's still a, 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 a work in progress. I like that. That could be the title of this episode too. And it could be a little bit linked. It could be the name of your podcast. How did you get into <laughs> high performance sport? That's awesome. Well, it's not time to go just yet because now it's time for the 10 and 10, which is a 10 quick fire questions. It's time to sit back, relax, get comfortable because this is a little bit more informal and a fun part to the show in the way that we finish off. So, Lewis, are you ready to go with the 10 and 10? Yeah, let's go. The reason why I call it 10 and 10, by the way, is it was supposed to be you had 10 seconds to answer the question, but that's kind of been blown out of the water. So it's just like 10 things. First thing that comes to mind, you can give me one word, you can give me a whole sentence, you can go for 10 minutes if you really want. Um, So you just say as much as you would like. But the first thing that comes to mind, number one, fathering. Uh, the best. Number two, elite soccer players. Um, uh, impressive. You know what? They're actually my probably one of my favourite athletes to train. Um, elite soccer players. Yeah. Um, number 
number three, not finishing books or podcasts? Um, frustrating to my wife. <laughs> number four, World Cup. <laughs> um, uh, emotional. Number five, growing up in Darwin. Uh, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. It was incredible, mate. Like, I always think to myself, the childhood that I had in Darwin, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent here, but the childhood I have in Darwin, um, I genuinely felt that it, it built a, it shaped me and built a character in me that has allowed me to go on and do, do the things that, I've, that, I'm, that I'm doing. So uh, I've got a lot to be thankful and um, grateful that I, uh, that I grew up in Darwin for sure. Number six, speaking another language and being having English as a second or an additional language. Um, speaking another language badly, um, I have a saying. I so I understand Thai and I understand Spanish, but I, um, I if I speak very good Spanish for someone who doesn't speak Spanish, and I speak very bad Spanish for someone who speaks Spanish. So, um, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, look, I, if you ask my wife still at times, and you probably would have gotten from this podcast as well, that I have troubles pronouncing certain English words and maybe get my words and definitions mixed up a little bit. But, um, but hey, like, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a Latin culture going to Latin parties and ate Thai food every day, so I didn't have much <laughs> to complain about. Number seven, uni. It's funny you say uni because the first thing that comes to my head, which is the worst part of it, is um, is the the fun I had at uni. So obviously, uh, I lived on college. I had an extreme, like clearly had nothing to do with uni or, the, or what I learnt at uni, but I had a, an exceptional time at uni. And obviously, I met my wife at uni. Um, so um, yeah, like it, it's um, yeah, it was an amazing time. Number eight. Your it's supposed to be one-word one answers? Or? No, no, no. It can be, you can go for as long as you like. So it yeah. initially was supposed to be like one word and it was like the person yeah. that comes to mind, whatever. But if you want to talk for 10 minutes about something, we, some, I've actually had a couple of episodes where one of these points has taken us on a whole other tangent and it's added an extra 20 minutes to the episode. So the <laughs> idea was the whole thing was like, you know, maybe a couple of minutes at most, but sometimes this becomes like we're only halfway through the episode by this point. <laughs> Um, so feel free to say as much or as little as you want. Number eight cool. is your favourite type of athlete. A favourite type of athlete? Um, the coachable one. I knew it was going to be something really like insightful like that. I thought he's not going to say soccer players or circus people. <laughs> it's going to be something really like meaningful. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. No, number nine, the most important. I'm really interested in this. Your answer to this, by the way, the okay, most important the trait. To the most important trait to be successful. Oh, I knew you might have to think on this. I'm going to talk a little bit while you. Yeah, because because I, I just want to be respectful because there are so many traits. Right, I want to be respectful and and give uh, a well thought answer. And but I'll be honest with you, the first thing that came to my mind was being patient. Uh, if I'd be perfectly honest, that's the first thing that came to my mind is being patient over the long term but being urgent in the short term. Um, I, I remember, this is going to go off on a tangent for a second here, but I was watching 60 Minutes and uh, there was an environmental scientist 
on, um, who talked about climate change. And they were talking about how can we, uh, why don't people in this day and age, um, you know, can see what's happening and taking action on, on trying to prevent climate change. And the way that he explained it was human beings are like exceptional, exceptional uh, creatures, right? Is that if you threw a ball at, at someone, that in, in a split second, in a split second, they'd be able to f- work out how fast the ball's coming at them. Uh, is it a heavy ball? Is it a, is it a, a light ball? Is it got, is it, uh, has it got spikes on it? Uh, is it like, uh, is it, is it, do I catch this ball? Do I move out of the way? Is it like on fire? And they can process all this information in a matter of a millisecond and then at the same time take appropriate action, right? But if you then told that person, I'll throw this ball and this ball is not going to hit you until one year from now, that same person will do nothing, do absolutely nothing, won't even process like what size is the ball or how heavy. It would just be like, like this is not, this is not a priority for me that requires a level of bandwidth, right? And the reason why I bring that up is, is I think that in any endeavor that you're trying to pursue, you've got to be patient so that, so that you can deal with the discouragement and the barriers and, uh, and the failures that come during your your journey into whatever you want to do and reminding yourself that this is a long game will help you get through those those periods but at the same time you don't want to allow that to to lead you to be complacent in the moment you want to be urgent in the moment so that you continue to take actions that are appropriate for you in the moment that then lead you to the direction that will eventually will take some time for you to to get. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I knew it was going to be a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, with that with that answer, yes, it does make sense. Do you want to say anything more on that before I move on to the last question? No, that's fine. That's fine. No, I think it's, I'll get um, off my soapbox. <laughs> no, that's – um, yeah, that – yeah, very insightful. Well, number 10, uh, I'm a bit nervous about how long this one could be and how insightful this could get. But this is a question which I ask every single guest on the Mind Your Body show. And it is, if you could go forward in time or back in time, which would you go to and why? Knowing that you can come back to now if you choose to. It's not like you go there and then that's it, you're stuck. You can go there and visit or you can go there and stay. Mm-hmm. It's up to you. But at what point in time would you go to and why? Um. To be honest, I would go back in time. I'd go back in time. And it's not because of me. Like, I'm interested in people. Like, I'm fascinated in stories. I'm fascinated by people and what they did and why they made certain decisions and why they, they you know, they chose to do one thing over, over another thing. And going back in time will allow me to kind of talk to people that, like, I haven't had the luxury to talk to. Right? And, and kind of like finding out about them, learning about them, is there things that I that might be of, of um, benefit to me in, in, in what I'm wanting to do and how I'm wanting to conduct my life. So probably going back in time, not to change anything that, that, um, that I've done in the past, which is probably a lot of 
like skeletons there. Um, but like, um, but to learn more from people that are probably no longer here, right? And um, and and unfortunately, going into the future, I don't know who those people are, right? So um, it's uh, I think going back in time will will, will be pretty uh, pretty interesting. Lewis, thank you for your time on the Mind Your Body Show. No problem. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us today on the Mind Your Body Show. If you would like to connect, please head on over to Instagram and follow us at Jacob underscore Andre. And you can get all of our show notes as well as all of our other episodes from the Mind Your Body Show over on my website at jacobandre.com as well as the blog articles, which I write on a regular basis and a whole bunch of other really cool tips, tricks, and actionable strategies to help you maximize your performance so you can succeed at the top level. Thank you again, and I'll see you soon.